The Christmas season is full of food, fun, and family. However, amidst all of the festivities, one of the most difficult parts of Christmas is getting the right gift. And giving gifts is far different than receiving gifts. To give a good gift, you have to know the person well enough and identify what it is that they've been wanting. To get a good gift, you have to clearly signal what it is that you want. But oftentimes, what we want is not what we need. In this sermon today by founding pastor Gary Smith, entitled, What Do You Want for Christmas? He takes a look at three of our needs that are fulfilled by the birth of Jesus. Enjoy this message from the City of Life Church podcast. Today I want to read from a passage in Luke 2, starting with verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things, and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told unto them. There was a Sunday school teacher who wanted to teach his little first grade class about this great angelic annunciation about the announcement to the shepherds that Jesus, little baby Jesus, was being born. So they would have been the first to know. So he explained and read the story to the little class, and then he asked them, now, this is a very important question, who was the first ones to know baby Jesus was born? little boy on the front row raised his hand. He recognized him. He said, Mary. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny to me. That's <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> I love humor. Humor is such a good thing. 
You know, my wife has always told me that I'm too humorous. She says, sometimes people think you're not serious because you joke so much. And, but you know, I've kind of laughed my way through life. It's, all, it's been a holy laughter. But I've laughed my way through life because I've always found no matter how difficult things are, a lot of times I'll make remarks people don't understand and they'll think I'm insensitive. It's my defense mechanism. It's the way I deal with difficult issues in life. I figure that if you can almost lighten something up, then it's not as difficult when you look at it and solve it. Because it brings a new dimension. You know, there's that, oh, just, oh, death is upon us. Or there's, you know, this thing here, and we need to deal with it and get rid of it. Sometimes humor helps me to do that. I want to teach a sermon today on uh, a question that you've asked a thousand times in your life, probably multiple times already this year. I want to use for a subject, what do you want for Christmas? Now, I've already asked my wife this year. I ask her every year. She tells me the same thing every year. We've been married almost 50 years. Whatever you buy me, I'm going to wind up taking it back. Give me money. <laughs> so guys, just, you know, stroke the check, put it in a beautiful card. Hey, you don't have to go walk yourself to death in the mall. And then your wife doesn't have to take what you buy back. But for my kids, it was always so fun. Your pastor, Pastor Jeff, my son, uh, one year I asked him what he wanted, and he wanted to stretch Armstrong. Anybody young enough to still remember stretch? You know, it was this toy that you'd just stretch the arms, and they'd become elongated, and then you'd let them go, and they'd just recall right back into the form, and you could stretch the leg, pull the head up, and it would, then it would recall. So about midway through the day, he was just having such a great time playing with stretch, and I stuck my head in his bedroom window. He had dissected stretch to see what was on the inside that made it do that way. So his stretch was no longer... Uh, applicable to have fun with after he got through dissecting it. Then I had my daughter, uh, Stacy, and there was no need to ask her, what do you want for Christmas? Because it was always Barbie. She always wanted a Barbie doll. She kind of reminds me of a Barbie doll. She's beautiful and slender and blonde hair and blue eyes, and she's a gorgeous girl. And uh, so would you believe that 40 years of age or a little older, that we still get her a Barbie every year. Every year. My attic is not big enough for Barbies in the box from then till now. But we get all of these Barbies. And then I got my young son, Tyler. What do you want for Christmas? Every gaming system that has ever been created. So it's easy. You know, you just figure it out. What do you want for Christmas? There was a little boy that wanted a watch for Christmas. And so he kept telling his dad and his mom he wanted to watch. Finally, you, How many of you got kids? 
Boy, don't you get sometimes wore down by the incessant insistence of them telling you what they want? You know, it just kind of wears you, thank you, kind of wears you down a little bit. And so the little boy just watch, watch, watch. Finally, his daddy said, look, he said, if you mention watch one more time, you're not going to get anything for Christmas. So two days before Christmas, they sat down for their dinner meal, and the dad just asked the young man if he wanted to give grace. And he obliged by quoting Mark 13 and 37. He said, I say unto you what I have already told you before, watch and pray. stupid. <laughs> yeah, but it's so funny. <laughs> so we spend much of the month of December searching for the perfect gift. But if you think about it, 2,000 years ago, right in everyone's field of vision was the hope of the universe. Something can be right in your field of vision, but you can be so focused on other things or so focused on something else that you want that you miss the miracle in the room. How could they 2,000 years ago, the politicians have missed the miracle in the room? How could the business community 2,000 years ago have missed the miracle in the room? How is it that Judaism and the spiritual leaders of the day fully missed and rejected the miracle in the room? What do you want for Christmas? Do you realize the miracle that is in the room? There were two groups that God chose to really emphasize in the early going of the birth of his son. One were the wise men. Matthew 2 and 2 says, The wise men said, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we are come to worship him. The wise men had their focus on spiritual and eternal things. While the, politician, the politicians missed the miracle in the room, the business community, the religious community missed the miracle in the room. These three wise men, kings, Royalty, cultured, educated, and wealthy had their minds on eternal things and spiritual things. And thus, they did not miss the miracle in the room. What made them wise? The Bible said they came and they sought the Lord regardless of the political stigma that was attached to it. Herod was having the infants slaughtered knowing prophetically 
that a child would be born that would be king of the Jews and he wanted to eliminate that possibility. That didn't stand in their way. What made them wise? That they pressed through all of the pressing obstacles of the day to seek after him. And they did two things. Number one, they said, let us go and worship him, for we have seen his star in the east. And the Bible says they came and worshiped. When you think about worship, in Matthew 6, 9, the disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. He taught them to pray, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You got to hallow the name of God when you pray. Hallow the name of God. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in the 33, he said, and seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the things of life shall be added unto you. So what he was saying is that when you worship, when you pray, as the wise men first and foremost worship, when you pray, you make sure you worship God. Because you hallow the name of God when you worship him. And when you hallow his name, it releases kingdom authority and power in your life. It invades your life and causes the kingdoms of this world to say yes when they mean no. And no when they mean yes and not know why they did it, but be happy that they did And the second reason they were wise is because they came and said, let us worship him. And the second reason, and they came bearing gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I don't quite understand this, but I can't take a an eraser and erase it out of the Bible that God made it twofold and two-pronged that the wise of this world worship him and give and bring gifts to him. I can't fully explain that. I just know that I can't erase it out of this book. It's his plan, not my plan. They brought the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. Psalms 2 and 10 says, be wise. How many of you want to be wise? You've got to worship, and you've got to be a giver. You've got to worship God and you've got to give to God. See, even here, the premise is being set. Here's what worship consists of. Be wise now, therefore, O you kings. You know, we're kings and priests. The book of Revelation tells us. Be wise now, therefore, O you kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Be wise, in other words. You see, all other religions, other than our religion, is sinking sand. And ours is simple. Our God looked at the vastness of the universe and decided that he would step down out of the ivory palaces of men's hearts of heaven and step into the dirty stable of men's hearts. He stepped out of the ivory palaces of heaven and stepped into the dirty stable of men's hearts. 
And he said, this man I've created, I love so much that I'm just going to vacate the palace. And I'm going to go there and move into the dirty stable of his heart to show my love for him. And to show him how much I desire him to be my own. So you see, the politicians miss the miracle in the room. The business community missed the miracle in the room. Judaism as a whole missed the miracle in the room in the religious systems. But there were three wise men, royalty, kings, cultured, educated, wealthy, who allowed their field of vision to be dominated with spiritual and eternal things and not temporal things. What do you want for Christmas? Then there was a second group, only two, that this great angelic annunciation came to. They were the shepherds. We read the story in Luke 2 and 12. You'll find the baby lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. You know what their response was to the angelic annunciation? Verse 15, let us go and see. Do you go and see this Christmas? What do you go and see? Had somebody tell me the other night, oh, we're getting ready, we're all getting together, and we're going to go and see the lights. That's a good thing. It's a fun thing. We go and see them every year. But what do you really go and see at Christmas time? Let us go and see. Well, we go to the mall. We go to the department stores. We go. What do you go and see? What do you want for Christmas? See, the shepherds were plain folk. God shows us a stark differential between the kings, the three kings, the royalty, the educated, the cultured, the kings, the financially well-off. And then he shows us the shepherds. He is showing the, the diverseness of the gospel of the kingdom. And the shepherds were just plain folk. I don't know about you, but I consider myself to be a very plain folk. I am plain folk. I don't know what you think about other people sometimes, like when you're there and someone is up here, maybe you feel... They're not plain folk. I'm plain folk. I've always been plain folk. There's nothing special about me except what's on the inside. I feel like sometimes when I walk down the middle of a mall that people don't even see me. I'm invisible. I'm so plain. But you know, God wanted us to understand that plain folk are open and receptive to him where privileged people are not. Privileged people don't want to go see. Plain folk want to go see. That's why Jesus said, the rich, it would almost be easier 
to get a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a wealthy person to come to God and serve him. Why? Not because there's anything wrong with wealth, wealth, but people who have it all aren't looking for anything. And you know what? Whatever you want for Christmas, you'll find it. You will find exactly what you are looking for this Christmas. And here's the spiritual law. Matthew 7 and 7. Seek and you shall find. That's a spiritual law. Seek love. Seek Jesus. Seek kindness. Seek goodness. You will find it. Seek hate. The enemy of our souls. Unkindness. You'll find it. Whatever you seek in life is what you're going to find. Whatever you want for Christmas is exactly what you're going to receive. It's what you're going to get. Many today in our society call this a past or a post-Christian society. That we are beyond the point of Christianity making any difference. And so I just looked through my files at media magazines and, and uh, TV magazines that have done stories about God. And I just looked through them. I'm probably one of the only people left in the world that actually ha- handles paper. But I actually have a file. But I found Time Magazine, Life Magazine, Newsweek, U.S. News and World Report, all did cover stories and feature stories within the last little while on these subjects. Life after death. And Janice and I actually saw this one. And we got motivated and went and bought a couple of books on near-death experiences. And it was really a, a good time, a good read. We enjoyed it and loved the testimonies that we found. But life after death... We found another one, a clear view of heaven. Well, most of the media doesn't even believe in God or believe in heaven. Why are they writing all these stories? Why are they giving cover space to all these subjects? A third one, Jesus, who is he? Well, who cares? You don't believe in him. You say it all the time. You make fun of those who do. You know, the... You know the ones, the ones that believe in Jesus, the toothless crack addicts that live in the South, which would be you. So why are you writing these articles? Another one, U.S. News and World Report did an entire cover story on who is God? Why do you care? Newsweek did another cover story Theirs was entitled, The Search for the Sacred. Really, there is a sacred? I like the one, I'm a channel flipper, maybe you flip channels too, and I find this one all the time up on the high channels, it's Morgan Freeman. He's doing this one, I think, the greatest religions of the world. I've tuned in on a couple of them and watched them. Kind of interesting. And you ask yourself the question, If you say, and you do, that we are a post-Christian society, why do you give so much cover space in your magazines 
to programs and shows and writings about God. Can I tell you why? Because nothing has ever changed. The questions today are the same questions people were asking 50 years ago when I came to God. January 17th, I'll celebrate my 50th year in ministry. And people are asking the same questions today that they were asking then. Nothing has changed. Statistics show that 80% of Americans today, when surveyed, say that they still believe in God. You know why they're writing them? Ratings, viewings, profit margins, profit share, industry share. Most of them don't even believe it. But they still write about it because 80% of you do believe about it. And we're asking the same questions that we were asking 50 years ago when I started preaching had one verse of scripture, was asked to give my testimony. Just got out of jail, barely saved. I had to ask my daddy where the book of Romans was because I was looking for one scripture in the book of Romans. He said, son, it's not in the Old Testament, it's over here. And I went to that revival and gave my testimony one night the altar filled up. They put on the marquee out front, former drug addict, giving his testimony. The building was packed. The altars were packed. A woman pastor, she asked me to come back the next night. I went back. I went back 10 nights in a row. Same verse of scripture. Same testimony. 10 nights in a row. About eight nights in, I got a call from Texas from an old friend that had known me years prior who was pastoring there said when you leave there would you come here and give your testimony here I never went home again you may find that hard to believe never went home again never had a never had a home after that my car became my home and I met Janice and I bought a 19 foot trailer and for eight years she and I lived in that trailer and continued Traveling. And the questions they were asking then is, is there any meaning to life? Is there a God? Who is he? And what is he like? And does he care about me? And can I know him? You see, that's what Christmas is. When I ask you the question, what do you want for Christmas? These are the things that Christmas is about. Where do you think those questions came from? Why are they the same questions that people were asking 50 years ago? Because God put a void inside of man that nothing can fill but him. And people know no matter how much money they make, what status they are in life, they know that something is missing on the inside. I want to give you three quick components to the perfect gift. 
Component number one, forgiveness. Forgiveness. Luke 2 and 11, today a Savior is born. He is Christ the Lord. And you know what? We need a Savior. Why? Because we can't save ourselves. And a Savior comes in and saves you from the life that you've lived. Saves you from all your errors and all your mistakes and all of your shortcomings and all of your failures. And he forgives you out of hand. The Bible said all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Therefore we all need a Savior. So this is the good news at Christmas time. We have a Savior who's come to save us. We have a Redeemer. We have one that has taken our place. And we have one that has died in our stead so that we do not have to die. There was a little boy who wrote a letter to Santa Claus. Said, Dear Santa, there are three little boys living in my house. Jeffrey is two. David is four. And Norman is six. Jeffrey is good some of the time. David is good some of the time. But Norman is good all of the time. P.S. I am Norman. (laughs) You know what? None of us are Norman. None of us are Norman. Because the Bible said there's no good thing in us. The Bible said there's none good, no, not one. You know what? Whatever you want for Christmas, you can't go to the department store and buy the gift I'm telling you about today. The gift of forgiveness. Only God can give it. And he said he casts our sins away as far as the east is from the west. See, today you can have your past forgiven and you can have your past wiped clean. And he said, I will remember, I won't forget but I will make a conscious decision to remember your sins no more. You know what? I learned a terrible lesson and a hard lesson when I was 16 years old. I learned in a very tragic accident that you can't save anybody that's trying to save themselves. They'll take you under the water and take you with them. In order for you to save them, they must submit. Only then, when they give up, can you save them. The second component, forgiveness being the first component of the perfect gift, the second being peace of mind. Those of you who, Psalm 119, 165 said, those of you who love your, uh, those who love your teachings will find true peace. When you love the teachings of the Lord, you'll find true peace. 
you'll have peace with God. That means everything will be okay between you and God. You don't have to worry about going to heaven anymore. But you'll also have the peace of God. We've seen by looking at superstars and people in Hollywood and politicians and wealthy people that materialism doesn't do it. Multiple marriages won't do it. Stardom doesn't do it. Power doesn't do it. It doesn't give you that peace. All one must do is open his eyes or her eyes and you'll see that all of those things don't do anything. You can buy crystals and hang them from your rearview mirror. You can get every herbal solution, every pill, every potion. And it don't give you peace. Years ago when Janice and I pastored a church in Kansas, we lived in a very fluent neighborhood. It was a parsonage owned by the church. We pastored a big cathedral downtown, Kansas City Go Chiefs. You do it, Patrick. And um, so I had a judge living on one side and two lawyers and just real affluent people. But living across the street over there was the uh, Salvation Army pastor. His little boy used to come over a lot and we loved him. He was the cutest thing you've ever seen in the world. But can I give you parents a warning? Be careful what you say in front of your children because they'll go next door and tell them everything you say. <laughs> And so there was this naturalist, his name was Yule Gibbons, I don't know if any of you will remember it, but Yule Gibbons used to eat everything, and he'd do these commercials on TV, and they had this one that they were doing a lot then where he was eating tree bark, and he'd peel this tree bark off and just start eating it and chewing it up and everything, and all this little boy said, Yule Gibbons, said, my daddy said Yule Gibbons would eat his rear end if he could reach it. just wonder if that's really the way his daddy said it. <laughs> you know, we sat there for a minute kind of stunned, looking at each other and didn't know what to do, and then we just both burst into laughter. But the question is, I wonder if Yule Gibbons and all of his naturalist philosophy, I wonder if he had peace. Dr. Atkins designed a diet that tens of millions of people have found their health through his diet, stepped off of a curb and died. I, I wonder if Dr. Atkins ever found peace. Isaiah says there is no peace for the wicked. Because peace is knowing that no matter what I do, God will never stop loving me. God's pencil has no eraser. When he wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life, he wrote it with an instrument that has no eraser. Peace is knowing whatever happens to me, God's grace will give me strength to get through it. There's a grace for every place in life. Peace is no matter where I go, when I get there, God will be there waiting for me. The third and final component of the perfect gift. No applause, please. Forgiveness, peace, and lastly, 
eternal life. Hebrews says, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. Guys, we're all going to die. It's been appointed unto us. We're going to die. But for those of us who know Christ and who have received eternal life into our hearts and into our spirits, we're going to live forever. Amen. You know, God is, the Bible said that Jesus, they observed that he did all things well. God does everything with excellence. But I'm glad God is sloppy in one area. Luke 6, 38. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Shall men pour into your bosom? Malachi 3. Says that God will open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing so great there will not be room enough to receive it. Just running over. Proverbs 9, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy vats to overflowing, no room to receive it. Aren't you glad that this eternal life is just overflowing and just splashes over, runs over, covers over every part of our lives? So we have three components to the perfect gift. What do you want for Christmas? Can I give them to you in this way? Number one, forgiveness. He took care of your past. Number two, peace. He clears up your present. And number three, eternal life. He provides for your future. That's what the perfect gift is all about. Thank you so much for listening to the City of Life Church podcast. If City of Life has blessed you in any way, please consider giving by heading to col.tv and clicking on the Give tab. Have a great week.